measuring is not an end in itself. Why do we measure? We actually measure to reduce. We measure to understand what we have and where we need to start reducing. Hello everyone, welcome to Green.io, the podcast for responsible technologists building a greener digital world, one byte at a time. Our guests from across the globe share insights, tools and alternative approaches, enabling people within the tech sector and beyond to boost digital sustainability. Today, we're going to talk about a curse, the green IT curse. Sorry, it sounds a bit dramatic, but that's actually a point that IT, especially in large corporations, is very often a blind spot. And this is due to the fact that we are never number one. We don't pollute, we don't emit enough greenhouse gas. Such a bad thing. But everyone working a bit in the green IT sector and overall in the digital sustainability sector knows that actually little streams make big rivers. And I would say actually little streams of greenhouse gas emissions and other pollution make massive rivers of greenhouse gas emissions and all. It is widely acknowledged that the environmental footprint, or actually the greenhouse share of emissions by the IT sector overall, including devices, obviously, is around 4% of global emission. This is as much as the global road freight, but as you can imagine, not every company owns big lorries or trucks, and not a single person has, except for a few exceptions, a delivery van in his or her garage, which is actually the case with IT. So this is why, actually, for the same weight, when it comes to a sector like IT, it's much, much harder to tackle its environmental footprint than road transport, for instance. Hence, my very dramatic approach talking about the green IT curse. And to find this curse today, I wanted to, well, get my feet back on the ground. We had a wonderful episode with Max Blondeau in December where I explored with him technology and cosmology. Then, last month, again, I explored digital marketing, which is a topic that I'm not familiar with. But today, I really wanted to talk about green IT and how you deploy and start measuring how to reduce the environmental footprint of an IT system, but in a big corporation, where actually it will never be the number one, the number two, even the number three emission sources, and still has a lot of impact because of this little streams make grid river approach. So to stay in the dramatic tone, I looked for, I would say, two vampire hunters, or at least two very experienced people in the IT sectors with a soft spot for sustainability. But I was also looking for a use case, very tangible, very concrete. And I managed to find both Fiona and Thomas, who worked on the measurement of the IT footprint of a massive industrial corporation called ABB. What is funny here is that we have quite a lot in common with both Thomas and Fiona. <laughs> Thomas, because actually he studied at the same time in the same city, which is Lyon, and now he works in Switzerland. He's a very experienced IT guy, senior IT manager who leads operational effectiveness, compliance, etc., etc., ABB. And Fiona has the same background as an IT manager. And that's very interesting to see all this common path, I would say, towards sustainability, where you gather some experiences and knowledge in IT. And at some point you say, wait, I want to do something positive with sustainability. And Thomas obviously is the lead of this big, big project of uh, IT footprint assessment at ABB. And Fiona 
Basically, she quit her previous functions, and now she does like me, focusing 100% on the IT sustainability, which is really great. And yeah, I love this approach that once you've gained enough experience, you try and do something good in your own industry where you can have the most important leverage. So let's welcome Fiona Leibungut and Thomas Mosser to this very hands-on Green IO episode. Thank you, Gail. I'm glad to be with you today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, it's a pleasure. Before we deep dive on why, how, uh, all the feedback you can provide to anyone working in a pretty big corporation and trying to implement some measurements or some evaluation, sorry, the Boavista folks, uh, about uh, your IT footprint, maybe, Thomas, what is ABB? And it's not a rock band. Yeah, th thank you, Gail, for asking it. Uh, a very good question. Well, ABB is most of all an industrial company. So we are actually well, a technology leader in electrification and automation. This is the, the credo. Uh, we do manufacture industrial products in the electric uh, domain. So it goes from the uh, motor, I think medium-sized motor, to very large-sized motor. That would be wider than, than the room you're probably sitting in. Uh, we do manufacture robots as well. We do Uh, process automation, so enable factory end-to-end -end process in, in some of our businesses. So we're having a, a broad range of electrification and automation-related services. And I think beyond that, we're also trying to do this in a very sustainable way, enable uh, most like, mostly business-to-business -business partner and customer. The business I'm operating in is actually motion business area. So we have four business areas as part of ABB. And Motion is the one manufacturing motor and drive. Uh, this is where the whole green IT story started with. So you're a wonderful guest because I've got my transition all cooked up uh, already by you. Why did you start focusing on green IT strategy, green IT journey? I don't know the word you, you use at ABB. Well, we, we, we started with humility, so we, we started by calling it IT sustainability assessment. I think we need it as part of project behind. And, 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 and the why, it's a, well, it's a bit of a long story because you don't, you don't get into it like a, in a snap. It actually takes some time, takes some, some change management, understanding of the issue beyond. There's a couple of dimensions I'd like to touch on. One, obviously, is the broader organizational targets. ABB does have some sustainability targets for 2030, and that it makes it very tangible at the group level that we need to reduce the CO2 footprint on the scope one and two, on the scope three as well. So we have a broader mandate given by the organization targets, but I think it really takes a couple of passionate people and a broader understanding on the IT side on how sustainability is actually becoming crucial to make the, the needle move. So this is what really got us into this uh, green IT or sustainable IT journey. And, and it didn't start uh, from a day to another. It really took a bit of, a, well, a couple of uh, years actually to get there. Uh, the very inception from, uh, from my standpoint is started with the Climate Fresk. So we started uh, with a colleague deploying and promoting the Climate Fresk internally in 2020 at ABP. And what, what started from a very small climate fresh rollout in France, I think then expanded, broadened, I think really got into a very structured type of workshop event we called Greener in Motion that has been deployed in many countries in, in India, South America, US, Europe as well. And, and that really helped while well, educating people on the climate change and consequence, obviously, but 
from an IT standpoint, also I've been facilitating a couple of sessions, and, and this helped me to identify some allies, some people actually concerned with by the by the topic. Oh, we're learning about something, but what can we do to improve the overall IT footprint? So this helped us to create a tipping point with a couple of uh, people feeling involved, getting ready, and create a momentum to initiate the green IT journey. So the climate fresk triggered a sense of awareness or a sense of actions within the IT department. Is it what you said? This because the, did they did they feel a bit like left alone? Like you know, the most of the sustainable is obviously all about manufacturing process and then everything you buy from your suppliers. How did they connect the dot between hey, we receive all this information about climate change? And on the other end, we're in the IT department, so we're not where the main battle is at fault. People actually go in a climate first workshop. They take three, four hours to, to understand the, really the climate change mechanism and, and the, the impact on human life on the, it's on, on the planet. So it's a, it's a very, uh, very tough understanding and process. And, and once you get out of it, you don't necessarily make a clear connection from the what's the big problem and what can you do at your own level in IT. Some people make the connection, but the challenge being you don't necessarily identify what's the big impact. What can you do? What are the most meaningful and, and activities you need to start doing? So Climate Fresk help us to create a, a common understanding at the IT level on a couple of people to raise awareness. And we saw the people coming. Some people had a passion, some genuine interest into the topic, and they came to us because we facilitated the climate risk. And by doing so, you get some people along and, and you start building a sort of momentum, a sort of a team. You create energy as well and then some dynamic in, in the organization. So we translated this into what we call community of practice, having a once per month or once every few weeks regular alignment call. And try to understand, okay, what do you do in your organization? Because ABB is a massive organization. I think we have 110,000 employees. We have more than 2,000 in the IS side. Uh, their colleagues might be doing some initiative on the end user device, on the sourcing side, on the training, and so forth. So the intention was to build this community of practice and start to understand, okay, what is happening in a not so visible way already, but starting to happen. And by putting this small reader together, you understand there's more energy, a, a team ready to work and do something. And the next step, well, you, you quickly realize that, hey, we've got so many people interested into the topic, ready to do something about it, but do we have a, a clear baseline? Do we know where we are? Do we have clear priorities? No, we don't. And, and that's really what got us into this, this need to start measuring. So let's go and measure something. Do we need to measure the 100,000 employees? Maybe not at once, it's too big, but let's start, take a pilot country, and we took Switzerland, and capture the footprint, try to understand what are the big rocks, and what can we do to start moving them. So we had a bottom approach. We also had a top-down ABB framework target, sustainability targets, and at some point, we needed to get a management fine and approval to move ahead on, on this one. So this is where Motion, and, and especially the Motion CRU, I'd like to thank uh, in, in this process because he's been extremely supportive of the process. So he was convinced he's been playing the fresque at some point. He was also ready to support us and get the space line. If you look around, there's, there's actually, well, a few either passionate people or people who trust about the value of data. And, and this is where you can find the best management uh, buy-in. 
say, hey, we have a sustainability target at the group level. We have some people ready to do something about it. Where do we start? So rather than going in too many directions, let's prioritize and be clear on the big topics. Let's measure the footprint we have currently. Fiona, you've worked with several projects and not only with ABB. Is this kind of approach where you've got kind of step one, raising awareness, be some kind of a um, bottom-up momentum with people saying, hey, um, now that I'm aware, now that I understand better, we need to do things and, and self-organize and see connecting the dots with top management and getting some support, including financial one. Is it kind of the three steps um, project that you often see or is it very specific to ABB? I think it would depend by industry and especially like a company, ABB, which is heavy in industry. And you said this very well in your introduction that it's not the first, second or third priority for whoever is in charge of sustainability. Where this movement comes from is something I really empathize with, where in your personal life, you really care about sustainability. You you start to practice uh, sustainability in your personal life. And then you start looking at your professional life and you don't see how you can make the connection. And you're struggling a little bit with this disassociation of, I have my personal values, I have my job, and how am I bringing sustainability into my job? And I sure, I'm sure hundreds of your listeners feel the same thing. Um, and I'm guessing this is where, where Thomas's inspiration came from as well, to start looking around ABB. What is it that he can do in the remit of his position um, to bring more sustainable thinking, especially to IT? And this disassociation is something I saw also in my early conversations with, uh, with the Motion CIO, which you mentioned, Thomas. And what was great is that he was able to see the proposal laid out by Thomas. Um, and say, okay, here's a practical approach. We're not going out and hugging trees, but we've got a really practical view of what it is we need to do. It aligns with our corporate strategy, so it aligns with my position. Um, and I have somebody in my team who is passionate about it, who is uh, knowledgeable about it, who knows how to find the resources that will help him and become that mobilizer and influencer within the organization. Yeah, it resonates with some, some situation. At some point, if you don't have this buy-in or this even limited support from C-level, things start to get a bit complicated and you kind of hit this glass ceiling where people believe that they can change everything. <laughs> They're like, boom, I cannot go that up. And maybe, Fiona, how did you get involved? Let's talk about this assessment project a bit in details. But first of all, how did you get involved in this project? Why did they need to uh, bring you in? So I've been having conversations with ABB, I think my entire career, uh, even before I was working in sustainability. They, um, as, as my clients, I was working with ABB, um, yeah, pretty much for the last eight years, I'd say. Um, so when I started my own company, Spark IT, I naturally started to continue these conversations with, with my contact and who I knew. At the same time, I was partnering with Resilio because we have a similar vision. Um, and for me, as my own personal company strategy, I didn't want to build another tool that could do measurement because I know there are tools out there that do it really well. And my personal skill set lies much more in um, change management and company dynamics, organizational structures, governance in that direction. So there was a, a great resonance between the skills of Resilio and what I was able to bring 
on top of my experience of ABB and understanding the immense complexity of this organization, which is not an easy one to navigate. Correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas. I'm, I'm fully with you, Fiona. I think what, what really made it valuable for us was the, the good combination of a, a solid technical platform. I think with relying on the existing norms, regulation, providing it life cycle analysis and simple to use on, on the residual side and, and your skills on the change management and engagement level. So I think having someone able to translate the results into something that we can action at the organization at, on, on the people side actually make a lot of sense. And we're struggling to see these uh, things on the market, really. Uh, it's uh, When I look around, I can see a lot of uh, good, robust solution available to get the baseline, to get the numbers out, uh, CO2, water, mineral resource, so even uh, on the different planetary limits and, and, and impact. But translating this into tangible findings and, and projects that people can, can use to turn the, the findings into reality is not so easy today. And that's probably a, a big step forward uh, the, the large organizations such as us have, have, to be, uh, have to do in terms of maturity to understand where are we and start planning in concrete terms, where do we reduce and where we start. So talking about yeah, this kind of the second step of the project, but at the very beginning, so you've picked Resilio, to start this assessment, what did you do concretely? How did you crunch the data? What kind of uh, uh, indicators did you choose to follow? And yeah, what are the, and what we might talk about the pitfalls a bit later. How did it start concretely? Yeah, interesting process, I must say, because the, it started interesting the the european way or the, the american way I, I think both ways actually you'll see that there's a lot of positive benefit but challenges along the way as well um so we started the project so we started with a budget and an rfq request for quotation to understand what's on the market what is the right tool we can pick and to help us in this overall green it sustainability journey at ABB. to do a first evaluation so on the scope the scope was defined from the beginning we, it was clear for us that uh, doing it at the entire group level was too ambitious. And picking a country, a location where we know the service could be representative of the rest of the group landscape was much more agile and simple to start with. So limited scope, 1,500 users. It's 2% of overall ABB, but again, similar usage. And then trying to find a supplier. Uh, so finding suppliers was, was actually not so easy. Uh, there's a lot of interest today on the market for sustainability solution. So we had a lot of uh, different uh, partner suppliers coming to us and offering solution. Uh, we felt the value was not so much into buying the skills and competence, but actually embedding this, this in, into the ABB DNA, into the IS ways of working. Because if, if you really want to make that sustainability journey sustainable, and to last for, for more years, because that's, uh, I mean, we're only at the beginning now. We need it for the next uh, 10, 20 years to, to keep going. And getting the skills internally was quite crucial. So we privileged the technical solution, I think robust technical solution platform, and, and again, uh, uh, reasonable uh, pricing overall. And that's how we got into Resilio. Uh, there's been a few good candidates on the table, clearly. Uh, once we found this the, the platform and sign the contract, well, you actually get into the data collection phase. 
and the data collection is also interesting in both ways, uh, meaning it's it's not so simple. If you have a high quality CMDB, you know your assets, you know your server, you know your screens, you know the network, uh, you know the data center you're using, fine. But in reality, it, there's often some gaps. I think typically the accessories uh, registration was a bit of a gap for us, even though Switzerland uh, was, was doing it in a rather proactive manner. And the granularity also very much matters. So one, the data you have, the overall comprehensiveness of the data, and second, the granularity of the data. How deep down can you go? And for this assessment, again, we wanted to keep things small and simple enough. So we didn't look at 100% data quality or granularity. We felt if we capture the big rocks, the big items, this is enough for us to, to take the next steps. And then we can reiterate and go more granular uh, refine the data as we go. So we looked at the big portion. Data center, typically, we're having five different vendors globally, a lot of different locations, server closet in the factories, local data center in Switzerland, global hyperscaler and, and partner. So we, we took an overall average on the data center side because we felt that was good enough to start the journey with. So you provided to Resilio a comprehensive list of all the servers you've been using on-premise, or was it an average? I didn't understand fully this kind of um, average data centers that you, you talked about. Yeah, it's, it, it's, an, it's an hybrid, if you want. So if you look at the landscape in Switzerland, we have offices, we have factories, we have R&D centers. So depending on where, where you look at, you have different types of setup. I think the closer you get to the manufacturing process, the more local server you might find. So we have a couple of local servers being locally managed. And then we have large data center provider. What we found out is that the, the larger the data center is and, and the more uh, external, I think, uh, externally provided it was, the, the more incentive there was to actually make it really sustainable from, from the beginning. So economies of scale, uh, overall sustainability measure and commitment from the vendor, I think the large data center were actually not doing too bad in comparison of the local ones. So what we did, we took the server from local server inventory, data center inventory, the virtual machines we were using and so forth. We, we collected them all in a file and then we made a, an average impact. So we, we looked at the key machines, the key configuration and saying, oh, configuration one, we have uh, three of them in the cloud and uh, 10 of them locally. Or configuration two, we have 50 of them in the cloud and, and two of them locally. And we made an overall average, knowing that this was the first iteration. So I think the, the very intention behind is to make this process iterative. This is your idea of a sustainable, sustainable digital sustainable strategy, like, like you create a process, it's not just a one-shot of measuring, measuring things. Huh? Am I right? Exactly. Fiona? I think it's important to mention that when you're measuring, it's important to know why you're measuring and to focus on that. It's very easy to get lost in the detail and want to be as accurate as possible. And it is important to be accurate, but is it important to know for every single server um, the exact footprint. In this scenario, maybe not. And there's something one of your previous guests has said, which really stuck with me, which is a lot of it is logic when it comes to green IT. You know, more servers means more energy consumption means less green. In this case, 
it was important to get a set of data um, that was informative and gave a view of priorities of what can be changed and what can be impacted. It wasn't a preparation for an audit, for example, where you would need that extreme precision. That's why you've chosen to get some, I would say, standard configurations across the different use cases so that you can go back to the people and say, okay, we know that you are in the R&D department. Usually R&D department, your standard configuration is a bit like this, a bit like that. You use a bit of AWS, a bit of GCP, and you might have some on-premise machine or whatever. Um, so this is kind of your personae, I would say. Um, and this is a footprint, and this is where you can start uh, working on. Exactly. And it's also important to bear in mind that this is the first time that we've gone through this exercise with ABB. And of course, there's going to be data gaps because nowhere before has this level of granularity been needed in terms of reporting inf information for the organization. So this learning from the first time of what are the challenges, what are the gaps, what are the inconsistencies, there's already a higher data quality now than there was before. And next time, it will be even more. So even data gaps of, well, um, we don't have all the information we maybe need from our vendors. That's something that we now know there's a data gap there, and we can work on that to make sure that that information is starting to be provided. And how did you identify, track, and uh, remediate this, this data gap? Yeah, that, that took a bit of a project management type of organization. So to, to really make this assessment happen, so the, the timeline is we started back the RFQ in, in February 2023. Uh, we did the vendor selection in from March to to June, and we signed the contract in <clears throat> in July. We started the data collection. So data collection took us two good months and two good months, but with regular. So that was August and September, with regular data check and data review. So every two weeks, we were sitting with the team, a team of diff it's been a team effort, so not, not individual effort. So you need to data center, you need a data center specialist. Network, you need a network specialist. And user device, I think, same story. So there was a team of few people and meeting these people every two weeks and saying, okay, where are we today on the data collection process? And do we have the right... Initially, the, the very first review were very much driven by the structure. Do we have the right structure in the tool? to capture the, do we have the right configuration? Do we have the right assets being reflected to capture the usage we're having today in ABB? And I think the further we go, the more we get in, we got into the, the precise data. So now it's, it, it wasn't only about the structure, but what data? So do we have the right number of server? Uh, how do we make the count? How do we make the average? There's some debate on how to, it, it's not easy because there's, there's a lot of um, sustainability claim on the market as well. So how do you account for software as a service, for example? Do you take it uh, from? Uh, uh, do you take the vendor commitment and copy paste that into your assessment, or because we're still missing, I think, a, a solid regulatory uh, landscape to provide reliability of the data? Do you reassess that and and factor it in in a different manner? So this debate happened through the the data collection process. Yeah, I can imagine. I had uh, eight NGO talking about that in Green IO Paris, and Fiona was there, and they were like, "We need to have something," but it's a long road ahead of us. Coming back to this data and how you you structure, I've got, I've got, oh my God, I've got thousands of questions. But let let's pick uh, three just for clarification for the, 
everyone listening. Uh, did you only measure carbon emissions or greenhouse gas emissions? Let's be a bit precise here. Or did you start also with other environmental indicators like uh, water, material use, pollution, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? I, I think this is one of the great value of the of the Resilio solution uh, to provide a, an overall uh, or life cycle analysis, and not only carbon but also planetary limits related measurement criteria. So it's really going beyond the CO2 impact. I mean, CO2 climate change is happening now. We need to do something about it. That's where most of the metrics take us toward. But there's a lot of different uh, other impact on, on the raw materials, on the water usage. On the, and and uh, yeah, this must be coming into the picture because there's a lot of education to be done about that. And did you spot pollution transfer or, or, or any kind of misactions that could have been triggered if you had only focused on carbon or overall everything you do to reduce your carbon emissions, both during the use phase and the embedded um, carbon, obviously, is kind of aligned with uh, water consumption and other, other environmental impacts? As Fiona put it just before, I, I think there's a, a natural way of looking at it, or rather logic way of looking at it. The, the less you use, the less devices, the less data center capacity, the less impact you have. And that's true for the carbon impact, but also for the rest. So if you use less devices or uh, devices for longer time span, you actually have a lesser footprint in terms of CO2 and raw material and water. Because the, w- one of the big learning we had, and, and was very much about more on the life cycle stage, that most of the impact, 80% of the device impact comes from the manufacturing process. So manufacturing is really the, the big item. You can use it, and the longer you use it, the better it is, but because you can depreciate this overall manufacturing impact over long lifespan. And I think just, just bear in mind that for a lot of people, it's the first time they're seeing data around this. Um, and the measurements for CO2 as individuals, we're starting to get familiar with it. We start to understand what a carbon footprint is. But when you see a measurement for toxicity or water usage, and you don't even know what the unit is, and there's some you know, letter configuration on the slide that says it's bad, it's, it's very important for this data to be put into context. So you say it's X amount of this bad stuff, uh, which compares to something else so you're able to put it into context and understand the gravity of it because otherwise this data is useless and i think we saw a lot of that also when going through the data together with abb and resilio um if if you don't understand what's on that slide are you really motivated then to make that change that we need to make so we spent a lot of time focusing also around how are we communicating the data do you talk in swimming pools a lot of the time, when you want people to understand water consumption, you need to translate it in something they can picture because nobody really knows what is four tons of water. So I do it a lot, but I'm not like the only one at all. Is how many swimming pools do you use per day, per month, just to like build a chip, for instance, or build a servers or whatever? And so, how did you make, for instance, regarding water consumption, things intelligible by people? It's exactly that. For every metric, we put it into context. On the water, we talked. We didn't talk to swimming pools, but we talked actually in terms of uh, family usage. So if you take a family of three, 
in a given country, average Western country, it's close to 100 cubic meters per year. And if you realize that your average yearly consumption of water for an ABB IS services in Switzerland is already 200 cubic meters. Wow, two households of three people could actually live a full year with the same water. So I think this is already starting to provide a bit of impact and to, to put the number into perspective. I would have loved you to start doing the mass with uh, Geneva uh, a Lake. <laughs> but you've got an amazing leverage. It's like you've got global contract, though the plan is the plan to change the procurement policy right now or do the assessment first and the, like scale the assessment and then change the procurement policy to be able to better measure what are the, the savings. How do you plan to do? Uh, if you ask me, I'd like to do both. Uh, why? Why? Because, I mean, measuring is not an end in itself. Why do we measure? We actually measure to reduce. We measure to understand what we have and where we need to start reducing to, to calibrate the ambition level. But uh, we really need to focus on, on the active reduction. So touching back on the previous question, scalability, yes, we, we need to scale up. In, in terms of uh, contract or procurement, uh, this is the other number two uh, finding. A lot of what we have today, the, the sustainability impact, depends on the supplier. So engaging with the vendor, with the supplier, in a, an active discussion relationship to, one, get sustainability commitments and criteria in the contract, and two, uh, get meaningful discussion on the potential solution we can jointly in place, is really something we need to, to that must be on the roadmap. And Fiona, from a change management perspective, scaling from 2%, I know it's not like 2% to 100%, but how would you plan for such a big step in such a big organization? So I know we've said it a couple of times, but the question of why are we measuring and scaling the measurement is super, super key. And what Thomas has described in terms of scaling the scope of measurement is looking at what is it that we need to be informed they're not trying to measure every single is component of abb because that's not the purpose of the exercise the purpose is to understand what we've seen in switzerland is that still relevant global are our assumptions of this extrapolation correct what are the other areas that we may have missed that are relevant to other countries but not to switzerland and in the meantime the findings that we have, let's get started on those. And what we talk a lot about in terms of change management is, is two levels um, on which we're addressing it. There's one which is implemented change, and the other is mindset change. And they have two very different approaches. The implemented change is very much based off of the data. What are the gaps? What is it that we need? Engaging with the suppliers and starting to embed steps in our governance and our processes that take sustainability into consideration and take these data points into consideration. The mindset change is much harder to get at, and it's something that uh, a lot of these awareness platforms are really good at. Um, and what we look at for mindset is how are we communicating the findings? How are we getting people engaged in that as well in their day-to-day -day job? How are we inspiring them and doing all of this with consistency? It's not just sending out a slide deck and saying, look what we found, have a good day, but really 
building up the knowledge of employees. And I don't just mean IT employees, but anyone who's engaging with technology, which is typically everyone. <laughs> building up their knowledge of what it means when you know they get a new phone every three years or every four years, or why should it not be three years and why should it be four years? And working together with the leadership across the organization that will set the tone in terms of this communication. And did you already see some pitfalls or some issues uh, or some, yeah, how do you communicate? Because you say like, it's not about just, you know, sending the decks and say, hey, here are the findings, do something about it. So what is the typical way for you to communicate uh, with another countries, for instance, or another department? I think the biggest challenge is that this is an initiative that has really much been driven bottom up so far. And if you know you're you're sitting and you're doing your job and and someone comes from from the left side and says, "Look, I did some research and I got some really good data. I think you should change what you're doing and how you're doing it." You're going to look at them and say, "Well, my job as per my boss and my contract says no." So it's really much more about how how is the leadership living the change or living the data and believing it themselves and communicating it to the teams. So you might come across detractors who maybe even in their personal life, they don't really believe in sustainability or there's this also, I don't know if you've, both of you have come across this as well. There's a bit of fatigue around sustainability. People are like, oh yeah, okay, fine. Someone else who wants to talk about sustainability, good on you. Uh, let me get on with my job. But it is really more about um, the, the channels of how it's communicated, that it's not a personal project that Thomas and the team are doing, but this is really part of ABB strategy, part of ABB IT strategy uh, and beyond. So it should be present in everybody's day job. And so how you tackle this sustainability fatigue, as you said, and yeah, concretely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me personally, I do it with with pragmatism um, because I think a lot of people associate sustainability with sort of blue sky thinking or big ambition or we should, you know, stop oil today. But a lot more what needs to be done is what's what's pragmatic, what's realistic, a lot of empathy. And and Thomas has a lot of this this mindset as well, which is really great, where especially with the conversation about extending the life cycle of devices. There's a lot of resistance to that because there's no other real reason to do it other than, well, it's sustainable. Um, but looking at what's practical, you know, starting with when is the next contract renewal date? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's like big ambition. Oh, we've got Vandalog for the next five years. Mm -mm. <laughs> Ex exactly. You know, we, we don't want to come in and say, stop everything you're doing and uh, and now start being sustainable. That's not at all how people work. That's not how organizations work. It's more, what are we doing today and how can we start changing it? And then what are the big milestones where we can do something a little bit more transformational? So we're keeping ambition levels high, but also not sort of bowling in this, uh, this, this change that will not be accepted. And a, and a good way of doing so, what, what we're actually going for after the results have been shared and, and to, to the project team, we're actually engaging. So that there's the specific team with the highest impact. So if you think, uh, for example, of the end user device management. So this really came up as the one of the top one finding in the report, highest impact, and probably one of the quickest uh, win if we really manage to change and adjust, prolong the, the lease period. 
So we'll be having a dedicated session with the people uh, who do manage the end user device across the group, different colleagues, and we'll dive into this result. So we'll spend two hours and a half that Fiona and Resilio team will be facilitating to look at, okay, this is the data we have, the precise one. Let's sit down together and discuss what would be the next potential solution. What, what's realistic in the current landscape? There are probably a few bridges solutions we can put in place now, uh, maybe extend or prolong by one year. That can be easy. Maybe it's more about communicating, but there should be also some, some bigger shots we need to look at. Repairability, a typical example. Uh, we actually need modular laptops. We need modular devices, which we can easily repair or change, add RAM, uh, change the battery as, as we go forward. I think the, the framework laptop or the Fairphone uh, mobile, we need more of this on the market. So again, it goes back to, well, raising the change, doing something internally, but also finding a broader fix and a strategy with the vendor and partnering with the broader ecosystem to put something in place that can uh, fix it. That's, that's a good point. And actually, what do you think about the um, a green IT ecosystem at the moment? Um, you mentioned two brands that are quite famous within this uh, niche um, which is a green IT uh, devices, but you're part of a very large group, uh, Thomas and Fiona. You've worked across Europe and even beyond. So are we kind of victim of a, the information bubble symptom or is this ecosystem growing and what are the, the, the positive aspects of it and what, it, what are the, the pitfalls at the moment for this green IT ecosystem? Uh, I can try from an ABB standpoint, and I'm sure that Fiona will be happy to complement from a, from a broader perspective. But what I see, uh, if I take Fairphone, if I take Framework, I think this they're designing excellent product, going for modularity, going for sustainability. So uh, they're really setting the way, uh, which where we all all need to go. Uh, can can we scale this up and and bring it at a 100,000 company level? global worldwide operation, this is where we need the broader ecosystem to actually inject this criteria into their manufacturing process as well. Is it an option on the table? I'm not talking about like, give me the number because obviously that's confidential, but is it an option on the table to say, well, in 2025, 100% of our uh, laptop or 100% of our smartphones should be provided by Fairphone because at the moment they're pretty much the only one doing truly repairable and, and as sustainable as it can be smartphone or is it just non-scalable for the moment? I'd like it to be an option. I, I don't see it as scalable. Probably we can try at different level, pilot it and see how modular it can become and use it to, to pass that mindset change also to raise awareness on the modularity of the device, what we can do. Uh, and I hope that Fairphone and Framework can actually scale up or that other vendor and supplier can scale up and, and bring modularity in their device as well. But why cannot they scale today? I mean, they, they cannot supply you with, I don't know, 1,000 or 2,000 uh, smartphones at once. Is it the issue? Is it the, the, the geographical coverage? Is it that they're not fit to work with big corporation, answer a request for proposal? What are the pain points? Well, to, to be honest, we haven't gone the full way uh, of going for an RFQ and evaluating how we can do that. We, we just finished the assessment now. So uh, regarding looking at the device uh, scenario is, is on the table. That's something we need to investigate further in 2024. And yes, I think this should be part of the, of the discussion. 
this type of partner should definitely be involved into the uh, scenario and perspective. Will they be able to meet the ABB standard and 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 support us globally? I, I don't know. I, I think it will be difficult for them. It will be a bit of a stretch, but it's also maybe setting the path uh, towards a more a greener IT, IT landscape. It's a kind of a, a virtuous cycle. I mean, I, I've seen it countless times. The moment you start having one or two big brands, whether it's B2B or B2C on any kind of product, it's kind of, okay, I'm not the first one trying it. So if ABB has bought 10K uh, framework laptop, <laughs> I can do the same even if I'm a big company. No one will fire me because I've picked this not that big uh, small suppliers. But anyway, I'm, I'm not kind of promoting for those two brands. It's just that they're the two more iconic, I would say. Fiona, what's your, um, what's your thought on it? So I think the topic of green IT is booming. If I compare where we are today to where I saw the topic a year ago, there's a lot more conversation publicly from organizations, from companies talking about what they're working on. There's a lot more conversation at conferences. There's a boom in technology around it. There's a boom in um, companies setting up services around it. If I look at classic consulting companies, they're all starting to look at this, this, what is this green IT topic and should we have an offering around it? So there is a boom. I think it's going to continue. What's lacking and it's sort of the the typical change curve where you have a first peak and then a, a trough there's a lot of ambition and there's going to come a point where it's going to collapse and we're going to start looking at like great we have all of these ideas and ambitions and ngos and companies doing all these things but realistically how are we going to going to do this so there's going to be then this more pragmatic upwards curve again of um you know whatever companies are working on different things floating to the top and the ones that that can't keep up will sort of get absorbed um and i think that movement will come with the regulation or that movement will drive the regulation and that consistency and a lot of the topics that were discussed at the the green io conference in paris where there are all of these ideas and thoughts and happenings worldwide, but how are we bringing that into consistency in the industry? Even a, a simple terminology agreement, that's going to start to have to come, I hope, next year and the year after. And before we close the podcast, I have one question I want to ask you, and I'm not sure you will, you will agree, but can you share some numbers just to give a sense of proportion, not the super accurate, it could be a range, but Okay, 2% of the ABB information system when it comes to water use, greenhouse gas, etc. What it is? Yeah, and keep, keeping in mind that it's a first iteration again, so not, not the most uh, granular detail, but overall for the 1,400 users we've seen, I think we're close to, we're above 500 tons of CO2 per year, uh, which translates to 365 kilos of CO2 per user and 200 uh, cubic meter of water. These are really the numbers coming on top of my head. I think there's more be below on, on, the, on the material usage, for example. This is equivalent to five to six smartphones being used and thrown out every day, every year by user. So impact, if you look in terms of, uh, well, Paris Agreement or of, uh, you know, two tons target per individual in 2050, for example, that's a significant piece. I think it's it's about 20% of the overall 2050 target. So there's a, there's a, there should be a real incentive to reduce. 
So that was very insightful. Uh, and thanks for being that honest with the numbers, the, the granularity challenge, the definition of the scope. And, and Fiona, I got it. Your favorite word is pragmatism. So I think you can you know, print it on your T-shirt um, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever address or or piece of uh, equipment you you want to use, but uh, I kind of l- like it as well because otherwise, big expectation uh, falls very very fast and very short of doing anything and changing anything. So, I would like both of you to share another piece of good news because Fiona, you already mentioned the, the Green Eye Conference. Thanks a lot for this and thanks a lot for attending, by the way. Um, with a low carbon <laughs> transport, so both <laughs> twice congratulations. Um, but could you share one piece of good news uh, which made you optimistic recently about a path toward a more sustainable world? It's not that fun, but I think the regulatory landscape for me is actually bringing some positive news. So I, I see regulation coming into play. The European CSRD, I think there's some French regulation as well, which are really setting precise criteria and way to measure the IT footprint. So in my view, this will really help us to gain a lot in terms of maturity and reliability of the numbers we see around. Yeah, Thomas, you know, I'm trying very hard here not to jump on cliche and that having a, a cool conversation between a French and a Swiss, but Honestly, you don't help me like with this one. Like it is it's definitely not the most sexy news that you can share. Like regulations and law and norms, but it is so Swiss and actually it is so true. And this is why there are so many great NGO and, and norms uh, happening in in Switzerland. Because yes, obviously this is a great news. But yeah, not everyone will have the kind of bottom up approach with green light from top management that you experience at ABB or other companies. So sorry about the cliche. And uh, <laughs> Fiona, you want to share maybe one piece of good news? Sure. So as much as I love regulation as, as the next person or, or as Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> regulate <It's>... me. I <laughs> think we should maybe change the jingle of the podcast. You know, use regulate <laughs> by Warren Gier. No, so I'm not going to pick regulation for, for my good news, um, even though I do see it as becoming very important. What I love to see is is these movements of people and, and how natural leaders form out of ideas. And what I'm really enjoying seeing is the growth of the topic of green IT outside of uh, the French-speaking world. So seeing it bleed into the German-speaking part of Switzerland, where, where I work, but also across Europe, and just seeing the, the passion that has stemmed a lot of, you know, a lot of the good work has been led through the French-speaking world. Um, seeing that overflow now across is much more exciting for me than um, the, the regulation. <laughs> You need at some point. I mean, if you've if you've got one million passionate uh, foot soldiers willing to tackle um, a military objective, that that you know that could be an option to provide them with some tanks. And sorry about the military uh, image here. And obviously, regulation is kind of tank. I mean, that that's great to have millions of people starting to get really into this green IT topics. But with a bit of help and better weaponry, I would say um, it will not be luxury. 
Thanks a lot, both of you, for joining. I think it was a very in-depth episode, and thanks for being that honest about what you managed, but also what you didn't do yet, uh, the process, which is even more interesting than the actual results, despite the fact that you've shared them. So thanks a lot for that. I hope it will inspire a lot of people working in big corporations where green IT, okay, but hey, you know, that's not top three. Um, environmental impact, let's talk about it next year, uh, to actually have good tools and good examples to start moving right now and not the next year. So thanks a lot, both of you, for joining. Thanks, Gail. It was nice. Thank you, Gail. It was nice to have this podcast. Thank you for listening to this Green Eye episode. Before you leave, a small message from our sponsor. No, I'm kidding. Green Eye is a free and independent podcast and I need your help to keep it that way. As Jama described, I decided not to go for advertising, and I will stick to it, but I need a bit of your help for broadcasting and promoting. If you can share the episode on any social media or with friends or relatives, that will be super useful. And I know a lot of you have already done it, but a lot of you didn't because the UX of all the podcast platforms are a mess to do so. But if you could rate the podcast, because you cannot rate a single episode, so you have to go back to the podcast page on Apple Podcasts, Deezer, or Spotify. And if you can give us five stars and a nice review if you're on Apple Podcasts, that will be a massive help to get more extra visibility in the search results. So thanks a lot for your support. It means a lot to us. Us being me, Gael Duez, but also Tani Levitt, our amazing podcast producer, and Gilles Tellier, our amazing podcast curator. And stay tuned by subscribing to Green.io on your favorite podcast platform or via the Green.io newsletter. The link is in the episode notes, but you already know the drill. Every two weeks, you will get more insights and premium content to help you, the responsible technologist, build a greener digital world. One, right. I do time.